as their boat left the sea from the west side or the shore from the west side of the Sea of Galilee. They set out crossing as they had done on many occasions. These men were not men that were unfamiliar with the water. They were not men that were unfamiliar with the vessel. They were men that many of them worked and made their living on this body of water. And some uh, did other occupations or had other occupations, but yet still they were familiar with the region. The Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Tiberias is not a large area. It's not uh, a massive body of water. Uh, it, is, <clears throat> it is something that many towns populated the outskirts of because of uh, the ability to obtain food and fishing. So Jesus loaded in with his disciples and they set across. And as they set across, he took advantage of the opportunity to get some rest. And they find themselves afraid. They are not novices. They have a reason to be afraid. They are not ridiculously or, uh, or you know, unreasonably being cautious or afraid. They uh, are rightfully scared. And as they look and they look for Jesus, they find him sleeping and they're offended. How could he be asleep? How could he not care enough about us that he's going to let this happen and we're just going to be here uh, while he's sleeping? How could he sleep through this? You have to understand these men have seen Jesus in action at this point. They've been traveling for him with him for a little while. Uh, it's still early in his ministry, so they've not seen many things that they will see in the days to come. But they've not seen, it's not that they've not seen anything. They've, they've witnessed him and the chapters before cast out a demon. They've, they've witnessed him heal someone who was sick. They've come to him and seen him not only heal someone that was sick, but take someone that had a withered hand or, uh, or ankle or leg and uh, with the bone and distortions and with, uh, with muscle tissue lacking and speak and restore that to that person to be able to stand up and to walk out freely and normally. They've witnessed those things. Those things are life-altering events. They're things that get your attention. They've, uh, they've sat and listened to him uh, with others as the audience was captivated by his ability to, uh, to speak and to share truth. And he shared it in such a way that it caused them uh, to sit up and to pay attention because it was different. There was something different about the way that he spoke. There was something different about the authority with which he spoke and the way that he commanded the facts and the way that he understood uh, not just the scripture that he read but the meaning behind it and uh, and what it was to accomplish in life and uh, they, they've seen all of these things yet they're frustrated because he's sleeping in this time of peril and they go to him finally and they rouse him from sleep and they wake him up and with with uh, perhaps a little consternation in their voice they say master don't you care that we're going to perish here tonight and Jesus gets up and rebukes them where's your faith You've heard me speak. You've seen me heal. You've seen the power that I have over the enemy. You've witnessed these things. You know that I'm here. I've told you that I'm here to seek and save that which is lost. And I'm going to offer myself a sacrifice for the sins of mankind. You know that I have to do these things. Though you should understand that I can't die in a storm. And if I don't go down with the ship, the ship's not going down. And you're not going to go down either. Where's your faith? They look at him in amazement, and then he turns his attention to the storm. And he looks out at the storm, and he utters the simple statement, peace, be still. 
Knives stand out in the storm. I, I would have loved to have been able to stand out in the wind on Friday and say, peace be still, and the wind calmed. But I would have had no expectation that that would have happened. <coughs> and so uh, they look at him. I can imagine what's going through their mind. I mean, granted, they've seen him do some incredible things, but this isn't an individual. This is nature. And immediately, the wind calms. Immediately, the waves abate. The ship settles down. And they're terrified. This is different. This isn't someone's sins being forgiven. This isn't a healing. This is the midst of a hurricane. And walking out of the height and looking up at the sky and saying, peace, be still. And immediately it's just coming to an end. They sat in horror. They hunkered down. I don't know what it was like to be on that ship that day, but I would imagine there was a lot of whispering. Not that Jesus didn't know what they were saying. There was a lot of trying to absorb what just happened. And the Bible tells us their response, at least to this point, when they said, why, he said, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they said, after he calmed the sea, what manner of man is this? That even the wind and the sea obey him. Amen. They come to the shore, still absorbing what they've experienced. And as they get off the boat on the southeast side of the lake of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee, in the region of Decapolis, which is an area that's mostly Gentile, that is made up of 10 primary cities, they come to the land of the Gadarenes in the city of Gadara. And as they get off the ship, immediately, while they're still processing what just happened, this maniac, naked, Bleeding, wounded, cut, approaches him. This is no stranger to the townspeople. They've known this man for a long time. They know that he's crazy. They know that he sits and runs about the gravestones and he hides out in the cemetery and he uh, lashes out and he sits there tormenting himself and cutting himself and, uh, and feels no shame at his nakedness. And they've tried to do something about the problem. They've, they've laid trap for him. They've, they've tied him up. They've bound him with chains. And yet his supernatural strength is such with the demons that possess him that he's taken the shackles and the chains and he's plucked them off. I don't know for certain what that means. I don't know that it means that they were just like uh, like paper, uh, a paper chain like you'd make in grade school and he just plucked them off or if he, uh, if he took a rock and smashed them and broke them and then plucked them apart. Uh, but even still, however it was, it was a demonstration of the supernatural power that had overtaken him. He was not his own. He was not in control. He didn't make his own decisions. He didn't have the capacity to, uh, to live a normal life. And the people lived in constant fear and peril of him as he sat amongst the, the tombstones. 
And as Jesus comes, it's, it's, they didn't hide. They are compelled to approach him. And as this man approaches him and his men still in fear see this maniac approaching as the commentators describe him, as he approaches, they, they come to him and they worship. They don't come and attack. They don't come and criticize. They, they do lie. They come and approach and worship and say, what have we to do with you, Jesus Christ, thou son of God, and someplace the son of David. Uh, and they acknowledged and they recognized exactly who he is. And as he looked at them, uh, they, they, he just lets them come and worship. And then they say, don't torment us. Would you, would you please not torment us as if Jesus is the tormentor? Jesus is not the tormentor, but the Savior. Amen. As these men come to him, or this man comes to him, and his disciples stand behind him and witness this, we see that this man comes with great need. Mark chapter 5 is an interesting chapter in that it addresses all three things that typically are the major terrors of humanity. If you had to describe and, and analyze what are three things that throughout the ages people have been most horrified of, you could summarize it by saying that demon activity is one. You see it throughout ancient culture. You see it in jungle cultures now and uh, undeveloped countries. And you see it to, uh, to a large degree in our culture. It's just not recognized as being that. Demonic activity is something that, that torments the mind and torments the soul of mankind. The other is disease. Disease is something that everyone fears, that everyone, let me look at what the world has been doing for the last two years because of fear of disease. The final thing that you would summarize it would be death. And if you could take and look at three things that torment the heart and the mind of men, you could say it is the, 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 the activity of the demons, it is the disease uh, that's upon the earth, and it is the reality of death that lies before us. And in those three great terrors, you see in Mark chapter 5, the Lord Jesus Christ solved those three problems. Here, he deals with this man, and he's going to deliver him from not a demon, but over 6,000 by their name. He's going to show that he has power over the terror of demon activity. When he gets done here, he gets back on the boat and goes back to the other side. And when he gets there, he's met at the dock by a man named Jairus, who has a daughter who is dying and in fact dies while he's with Jesus. And as he makes his way from the dock, uh, here in Mark chapter 5, there's a woman that's had an issue of blood for 12 years. She's spent all of her living trying to get some help and trying to get uh, some, uh, some medical attention to try to solve her problem to no avail. And, uh, and so she, you see, as he makes his way from the dock, disease approaches him as is defeated. 
And when he approaches the, the bedchamber of Jairus' daughter where she lies a corpse and uh, the wailers and the mourners are already assembled outside and as Jesus comes in and tells them, hey, uh, you, you, she's just asleep, don't worry about it. And they mock him to scorn saying, we know death. We know death, it's our profession. It's like walking into the back of a, uh, of a funeral home uh, with all the corpses and having the funeral director c coming in and down the funeral. Don't worry, they're just asleep. Jesus says, you'll see. You know death, but I know life. Amen. And in this chapter, you see... He demonstrate his power over the legion delivering a man. He came to seek and save that which was lost. You see him deliver the woman with a disease from her issue of blood. Uh, delivering a man and a woman. And then coming to a child who has been taken in death prematurely. Uh, the one that would be least expected to die. To prove his deity and his godness. And he looks and he, he says you fear the demons and you fear disease and you fear death. But I have come to deliver you and to save you and here is a man and here is a woman and here is a child that have been delivered from the power of the things that you fear. God. I've come to seek you. I've come to save you. I've come to deliver you. This maniac in the tombstones was no secret or myth. He wasn't someone that they just made up or dreamed about or thought about. He was someone that they saw. He was someone that everyone knew. He was, some that no one, he was someone that no one could help, that no one could deliver, that no one could control, that no one could confine. He was possessed and controlled by the God of this world. He was under the power of the enemy of God. He had no power over himself. When he approached Jesus, he could not even speak for himself because the demons had control even of his voice. He had supernatural strength. He sat naked among the dead, cutting himself with stones. Then came Jesus. In the presence of God and the power of God would make manifest himself amongst the dead. The people didn't understand. The people couldn't wrap their minds around what was going on. They just knew that there was this prophet that came into town. But he was no prophet, at least no ordinary prophet. He was God. I want you to see three things about the presence of God when Jesus shows up that are automatically, in essence, demanded. They are the natural response. Number one, we see in verse number six. But he saw Jesus afar off. He ran and worshiped him. This is not a man who loved God. These are not beings that wanted to serve God, that valued God. They, in fact, had fled heaven of their own volition. They had followed Satan. They had made their choice, and they worship him. <coughs> now, clearly, whenever the demons come and worship Jesus, they are not coming singing praises and thinking, oh, this is a great and awesome uh, thing that, that God has showed up. They're his enemy. I'm just saying this morning that God is God. Amen. And there's, he is the powerful one. 
And what we look and what we see here is that they come and they worship him. The word that's used for worship here is proskuneo, which means to kiss like a dog licking his master's hand. It is to come and to humble oneself and to acknowledge that you are superior to me, that you are the master. And the demons that are subject to Satan, the God of this world, had to stop in the midst of their tormenting of this man's soul. And they had to come to the Son of God when, he came in, when they came into his presence. And they had to acknowledge that he was God. They had to acknowledge his power. They had to acknowledge his position. They had to acknowledge their subservience to him. It also means to kneel or prostrate or to make one prostrate, to pay homage to or to make obeisance to. It is used to express homage to men and to beings of superior rank. So what they're saying here when they come and worship is you outrank us. You are more authority than we do. You have more power than we do. We are here only if you allow us to be. And immediately they beg him not to torment them. <coughs> I would say this this morning, just a couple of thoughts here uh, about this. Number one, his presence demands our urgent approach. When we recognize who and what God is and who Jesus is, when we come into his presence, it demands our urgent approach. Many of our men are veterans, and as veterans you understand this, but when a field-grade officer, a major or higher, or a lieutenant commander, I guess, or higher in the Navy, walked into a room, whoever first saw them was under obligation to yell out in a loud Manner loud enough to be to override whatever else was going in the room, attention on deck. And everyone within the room, officer or enlisted, that was of a lesser rank was required to jump to their feet to attention of position until that one that entered the room of rank said, as you were, or carry on. Meaning, go back to what you were doing before I walked into the room. What I'm saying here this morning is that this is, in essence, the response that should take place whenever Jesus enters the room. Amen. He desires and, and he is worthy of us stopping what we're doing, turning our attention to him and acknowledging his presence. And that's exactly what this demon-possessed man does. Or rather, the demons that possess this man do. They stop, they're cutting, they're tormenting, they're wailing, uh, they're agonizing, antagonizing, and they come to Jesus and they acknowledge his rank and his authority. And pastor, what about the people that are out there that just blow it off? They do not understand who is present. We've all been in a room where someone comes in and, and you don't even recognize or realize that they're there. 
when my wife came in the service a while ago, we were already, we were already singing uh, the first song and I'm looking more over this direction and I had my, my shoulder kind of turned away from her. She came up the outside wall and I didn't even feel her step in and slide in beside me. But I heard her voice. And once I heard her voice, I just dropped my hand down and took her hand. I was aware of her presence. Her presence required and deserved a response. She wasn't ignored willfully. She was unnoticed ignorantly. You understand what I'm saying this morning? There are a lot of people that come into the presence of God and lack the knowledge or the awareness to understand whose presence they're in. They do not show proper courtesy. They do not show proper honor. They do not show proper reverence because they simply do not understand who Jesus is. When we look and we understand who Jesus is, it will demand our urgent and appropriate response. Whether we're his child or not. Amen. These demons respond to him as God. I cannot come into the presence of God knowingly and, and not acknowledge that presence. Romans chapter number 14 and verse number 11, the Bible says, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself unto God. In Philippians chapter 2 and verses 10 and 11, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, Jesus, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in the earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, everyone will acknowledge that Jesus is God either here and now or before they're sentenced to a lake of fire for eternity. There is no exception. There is no avoiding. Even Satan himself acknowledges that Jesus is God and that God is the one that has the real power and that he is the one worthy of honor. And when the presence of the king is in the room, it demands our urgent obedience and response. We can't deny that. When we understand who he is, we see also that his presence demands our unconditional surrender. It's interesting that they come to him and they say to him, please don't send us out to just nowhere. You have to understand in, in this world, the Bible talks about powers and principalities and the, Satan is the prince and the power of the air. There is a rank structure as there are a rank structure with the angels. There's a rank structure with the demonic forces and they're assigned different geographic regions and work and torment under that command structure. And that's a lot of theology that we don't have time to dig deeply into tonight. But essentially what they're expressing here is, hey, this is our, this is our realm. This is our assignment. Don't banish us from this area where we have power. 
And Jesus, they look and they say, there's these swine over here. This is a Gentile area where they're at. Gadara, the land of the Gadarenes, is part of Decapolis. This is an area uh, that was settled by uh, the remnants of Alexander the Great's army. I believe this was Ptolemy's area. Uh, and so they settled there uh, whenever Alexander the Great's kingdom was divided amongst his four generals. And they're in this area of Decapolis in these ten cities. And so they're, they're not here uh, worshiping and following the God of, the, uh, of Israel and, uh, and, uh, and obeying their dietary laws. And so there, thus you have this huge herd of swine, which to the Jews would have been, uh, would have been revolting. Can we go into the pigs? Jesus sees the opportunity to kill two birds with one stone or 2,000 pigs with 6,000 demons. And he says, sure, go ahead. And he sends them, if legion is the standard Roman legion of 6,000 men, about three, about three devils to a pig. And immediately they run violently over the cliff and into the sea and they drown and they're destroyed. The livelihood of the city, this is not going well with the people in town. They're not excited about this. This is their food supply and this is their livelihood. They come out and they, they look to see what's happened and they're shocked when they find not only their livelihood destroyed, but this man that they couldn't control sitting clothed and in his right mind. The reality is, is that he has the power and the authority and we must obey. Whether we choose to obey now or right now we have a choice. But whenever it comes to being in his presence and uh, we will have no choice. We look and we acknowledge that God is God. His presence demands our unconditional surrender. The reality Christian is this. That until I come to him and honor him without condition... I have not worshipped him. If I come to God this morning and say, God, if you do this for me, then I'll worship you. If you do this to me, then I'll obey you. If you do this for me, then I'll serve you. If you do this for me, uh, listen, until I come to him without condition, notice that the demons come to him. They're not putting a condition. They just simply said, they understand. We have no right to make a demand, but we make a humble request. Can we go into the swine? <coughs> and they go and Jesus does what needs to be done so we see this morning that the presence of God demands our worship he's worthy of our worship he's deserving of our worship we have every obligation to come to him and to acknowledge his authority and his power and his presence in our life to do any less would be to dishonor and disrespect him how we come to him makes a difference too. Secondly, this morning, consider that the power of God demands acknowledgement. In verses 7 through 13, as he goes on, they cry with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. They acknowledge who and what he is, though they accuse him of being a tormentor. For he said unto them, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked them, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. 
Now there was there nigh unto the mountain a great herd of swine, and the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea, and there were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. What I'm saying here is this, is that the power of God demands acknowledgement. You have to acknowledge God. I will acknowledge God. Amen. What's acknowledged here? Well, there are two things, and we've talked about a little bit here just already. Number one, Jesus' authority is acknowledged. It's one thing to recognize, God, your presence is here. I'm standing. I'm showing reverence. I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm paying homage. I'm coming to you and, and reverence. But am I acknowledging truly in my heart that he is my God? This is beyond just a recognition that his presence is here. <coughs> Listen, excuse me, you could sit in a service like this or, uh, or, or like this in some other place and say, I feel uh, and sense the presence of God amongst me. I, okay, God, I, I, can, I can sense your presence. But I'm not acknowledging your authority in my life. I'll acknowledge your authority generally, but not personally. So, Pastor, how is that possible? Well, it looks like this. I understand what God wants me to do, what God expects me to do, what the Bible commands me to do, but I'm not going to do it. The demons come here and they say, can we? And when he makes the command, they obey. There's no putting him off. There's no justifying their own desire. There's no counter argument. There is no... There is no excuse made. There is just obedience. And I'm saying that Jesus' authority is acknowledged. They are making a request, not a demand. And they obey what he tells them to do. His authority is acknowledged. Listen, it's great that you came to church this morning. But have you recognized the presence of Christ in your heart and in your life and speaking to you through his word? And if so, have you acknowledged that he is God and that he has authority. The legion's submission is acknowledged. See, first the legion comes and they, uh, and they, uh, they worship him and, they, uh, and then uh, the people that are there, the men at least, the man who is possessed and the disciples still standing in awe. It's amazing how silent they are in this. They're still trying to absorb the, stone, the storm and now this. Not a peep. Just the power of God on display. And as the demons come, we see that his authority is acknowledged and their submission is acknowledged. He acknowledges their submission. Yeah, you can go over there. It's amazing how God works in our lives when we let him. Thirdly, I would say this morning, not only is the presence, when God's presence shows up, not only is the presence of God demanding worship, and not only is the power of God demanding acknowledgement, but notice thirdly that the proclamation of God demands obedience. The proclamation of God, whatever he proclaims, demands our obedience. Notice this verse 13 through 20, and we'll pick up in, uh, in verse 15 as the swine are, uh, are there and, uh, and the people have been told and they come out to see what's taken place. And they come to Jesus, the people, the townspeople, to see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind and they were afraid. 
And they saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray to him to depart out of their coast. Now, I don't know about you, but in my mind, I'm thinking, hey, uh, if I'm a townsperson here and this man who has, who has come now and he has dealt with this man that's sitting here cutting himself that we have tried to put in chains that is loose and the man sitting here clothed and in his right mind and confessing that Jesus is God and they are understanding what's taking place, how are they not bowing down and falling at his feet and worshiping him? But they're not recognizing who he is. They're not willing to accept that he's God. And so their response is just leave. Get away, from, get out of our town. We don't want you here. They've seen this great power. And yet they want him to leave. And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Oh, the man that was delivered didn't want him to go. The man that was delivered wanted to stay in his presence. Perhaps he was afraid that if the presence of God left, that what just left him would come back. But Jesus destroyed them. Here, this man comes and says, take me with you. Teach me. Lead me. Let me serve you. And Jesus said, oh, I'm going to teach you and you're going to serve me. But I need you to serve me here. Yeah, I need these fellows to come with me. I have other things planned for them. But I need you to stay here. I need you to tell everybody what I've done for you. I need you to be a witness and a testimony in this Gentile land of the power of God. I need this area that is closed to me to have the light shine in their darkness so that when I come back, some of them will be ready to receive me. The proclamation of God demands our obedience. It compels our obedience. We see that, we've seen that there was the obedience of the tormentors. They obeyed. They went into the swine and they suffered their fate. But we also see the obedience of the tormented. He loved. His life was forever changed. A power that he thought he would never be free from, he is now free from. This man has been released. We see thirdly the rejection of those who never came into his presence. Oh, the danger of knowing God, knowing God is around, knowing what the word of God says, hearing the word of God preached, but never allowing ourselves to truly be in the, God, in the presence of God. You understand what I'm trying to say this morning? We're in the presence of God often, but we're not, but we're rarely genuinely in the presence of God. Imagine if you would <clears throat> being in a grand function with some important person, a monarch, a president, a prime minister, with a vast crowd. You're in their presence. They approach and they invite you to private conversation. There's a difference between being in their presence and being in their presence. We're all the time in God's presence. But we're rarely in the presence of God. He's an ever-present God that desires our presence the rejection of these 
that never came to him. They weren't in denial that he was there. They weren't denying that a miracle had been done. They weren't denying that this man who was naked and cutting himself and out of his mind was now clothed and reasonable and, uh, and, and proclaiming Christ. They, they weren't denying that they had been in his presence, but they clearly never came into the presence of God. My friends, this morning, Jesus is not just some other God. Christianity is not just some other religion. He is the one true living God. He is God's son. He is God incarnate. He has walked amongst us. He is the only name whereby we must be saved and can be saved. These people, the helpless, the hopeless, the destitute, that have been reclaimed by Jesus, Now stay behind, paving the way for Decapolis, who is now rejecting Jesus, to someday receive him. Listen, when God changes your life, when Jesus saves your soul, it's not just so that you can avoid hell. It's because he wants a loving, nurturing relationship with you. He wants to grow you and use you. Consider as we close this morning this Maniac of Gadara. The Lord had done great things for him. He had the scars in his body that testified to the days when he had mutilated himself and his frenzy. And to the times when he had been bound with chains. He was the living epistle and testimony to the love of Christ and the power of God. He had been forgiven much. And he loved much. And the people marveled. There could be no mistaking. And there could be no denying. That a mighty miracle had been wrought in this man's life. People don't come to Jesus today because they don't think they need him. And because they haven't heard enough stories. They haven't heard enough witness about how they once, how we once were and about how God changed our lives. Jesus looks at this man and says, hey, listen, this is a dark land and I'm glad that you want to come with me and I'm glad that, that you want to learn and grow and I promise you that you're going to learn and you're going to grow. And I'm so honored that you would want to come and get in this ship and go back to the other side with me. But I'm coming back here again and somebody needs to be a light in this darkness. Somebody needs to tell these people about what the power of God can do in their life. Listen, it's not the will of God for everyone to just go live on easy street or to have everything go their way all the time. It's not the will of God uh, for us, for everyone to just, <clears throat> you know, think, Jesus saved me and, and everything's great. No, there are people that are going through really difficult times and God goes through difficult times with us so that when the darkness of their life, we can shed the light of what God's done for us when we went through similar events. I'm wondering this morning, how long has it been, Christian, since you left the presence of God and came genuinely into the presence of God? 
How long has it been since we went through the motions of a worship service and genuinely felt the presence of God in our heart and in our life? Are we hungry for his power? Are we hungry for his presence? Are we content to watch those sit by the wayside cutting themselves and crying out in agony? Or will we share what Jesus has done for us? Well, Pastor, I don't have that grand of a story to tell. If you don't, it's not because he doesn't want to do great things in your life. It's because you haven't been in his presence. You see, when you really genuinely come into the presence of God, it's not an option. It wasn't an option for Isaiah. It wasn't an option for Thomas. And it's not an option for any of us. Will we allow ourselves to see Jesus truly as our God?